Welcome to Gospel Mission Church's message podcast. We pray that God will meet you in this time with a fresh revelation of His love for you and that you will be challenged to align with the amazing plans that God has waiting for you. Here's this week's message from Pastor Brenton. Right on. Well, if you uh, are, have been going to this church a little bit, you know that we just came out of a time of fasting. If you're new, now you know. We just came out of a time of uh, fasting as a, as a church, and I, I hope that you had an awesome, awesome time. During that fast, we were talking about making more room for God. This is our desire, setting things aside and making more room for Him. Now the fast is over, no need to continue that. That's a joke. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and Claude encouraged the staff as well at the staff meeting this week. Let's continue, right? Where we built new habits and where we made room for him. Maybe we're not fasting anymore, but hopefully we will again <laughs> soon. But what does it look like in my life now that the fast is, is, is passed to make room for him? Um, and um, yeah, during this fast too, in, in my own life, I, I felt incredibly refreshed. Having times of just worship with God where, man, it was, it was so good. Uh, and at the same time, too, I felt convicted in my own life uh, by the series and, and by um, one of the songs that we've been singing, too, in the series talks all about making room for God. I'll get the lyrics to, to come up on the board here. Um, you know, sometimes you're singing a song and it almost feels like, uh, I can call them gotcha songs. You're singing, and it's so easy to sing. You're, you're making a good harmony. And all of a sudden, you realize the, the weight of the words that you're singing. And God's like, hey, Brenton, that's, those are great words. Do you mean them? Right? It's kind of like, gotcha. <laughs> and I feel like as we've been singing this song, I, I felt just conviction in, in my heart. I, I will, we sing, we've sang the song throughout this series, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to do. I felt God convicting me, is, is that true? Whatever, whatever I want to do, like whatever. Shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion. I felt God saying, hey, Brenton, are you willing that I could shake up your life? Are you willing that I tear some things down? Will you give me um, a building permit to do whatever I want to do and, and do some, some breaking down of walls and shaking up of things in your life? Your way is better, and that is the truth, that God's way is better. Amen? His is the way that leads to eternal life. And I felt God convicting me, my way is better. Are you willing to give up your own way? Right? And so many times in my, in my life, especially in my younger years, I've come on a Sunday morning, and I've had this conviction in my heart and, and then I just kind of go back to doing whatever I wanted to do. It, like, it was like, oh man, I'm so convicted. And then I get home and I eat lunch and I'm like, oh good, I forget all about that. But I'm trying to let this conviction in my life stay there. I, I think about the example of, of what, an, what an oyster does when a piece of sand or a, a foreign substance uh, comes into the oyster. It, it will actually start to build a calcium around that substance, and, um, and that ends up turning into a pearl. And so it's, it's this thing on the inside that shouldn't, or that, that is, in this case, conviction should be there, 
But instead of just leaving it out, can I leave that conviction in my heart and see it through so that God can do something beautiful in my life? So that's, that's what I'm trying to do coming out of this, this fast, right? And just asking myself practically, what does it look like to make room for God? Like not theoretically, not figuratively, like we can think about that too, but what does it actually look like practically? And so today, um, maybe the, the side... Second message of, of, of this title of this message could be Brenton's Reflections from Fasting. So I'm going to preach to myself, and hopefully you listen. Um, no, I, I'm going I'm to preach to you guys as well. Um, and this is, this is not a one-size-fits-all thing, right? I, I, we're going to look at principles of what we need to do in our life to make room for him. But it's not as simple as just do this and this and this and that's it. But there are some things I believe God is calling us to do, and we need to live out how you live those things out. I'm not here to tell you, but, but uh, and I'm here to tell you, they probably look different depending on the season you're in in your life. But how can we make more room for God? Can we go on that journey this morning? Awesome. The first way, if we want to make more room for God, we can't give room to the enemy. That sort of makes sense, right? <laughs> if we want God to reign in our life, uh, we're going to be looking at this, this vase here is going to represent our, our life and our, the time that we have on earth. If we look at this vase, it's pretty big, and we look at this black rock, it's not very big, right? That's, it's just a little sin. It doesn't even take up a big part of the, the vase, and so if you look at the percentage of what it's taking up, it's like maybe 3%, that's 97%. And 3% sin, so that's pretty good. We can live with that, right? No, we don't want to live with that, amen? We want to give no room to the enemy. And I, I, I've been reading Kings in my devotion, and so many times it talks about kings who did not remove the pagan idols and the altars of worship from, from, from Israel or from Judah. They didn't end up getting rid of, of those, those places. And, and it feels like... When I, when I read that, it's like you're watching a movie where they put a villain in, in like a prison that he can easily break out of. And it's like, don't do that. That's going to come back to bite you, right? It's easy as we read the Bible just to say, just get rid of that. But, but they left these, these idols there and, 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 and we know that that corrupted all of Israel, right? And all of Judah ended up going back into pagan worship, even if those idols and places of worship were just there but not worshipped. Um, and this is why sin, it doesn't just stay there in our vase, it, 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 it really, it, it destroys our life, right? If the enemy has room and we're giving him room in our life, we can't just confine him to the attic. He will, he will corrupt and, and ruin everything. And this is why King uh, Josiah, when he took over, they had actually lost the book of the law, and when he found the book of the law... He was like, we have some spring cleaning we need to do. And so in, in 2 Kings 23, it says, uh, The king Josiah stood before the pillar. He made an agreement in the presence of the Lord. He agreed to follow the Lord and obey his commands, rules, and laws with his whole being. And then he got to work. Um, have you guys ever heard of a rage room before? Apparently, I've never been to one, but you get to go in a room and you pay, and then you just get to break anything in the room. Sounds really fun. I think we should organize this as a, as a church event. There's one in Winnipeg. I already looked it up. So 
Maybe we can do that. By the way, I'm, I'm doing okay. Maybe you're, wow, is parenting that rough on you, Brenton? Need to go to a rage room? Um, but this is what Josiah did in Israel. He literally, he pounded the, the, the altars to dust. He smashed them. He got rid of anything that, that, that was associated with that pagan worship. He got rid of it all, smashed it, and burned it. And in our life with sin, this is what we're called to do. This is what we need to strive to keep doing, right? Because this is a daily thing that we need to do. In Ephesians 4, verse 26, it says, In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. If you look that word up in the, the Greek, it talks about, a, usually it's defined a place. It means an inhabited city or village. Don't give the enemy a place in your life. If he has a place in your life, an access in your life, you have to get rid of that and, and face that head on. In, in uh, Ephesians 4.31, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. Don't, don't be haphazard about those things. Get rid of them and, and, and get the help you need to get rid of them. I like how Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I remember reading that when I was very young, sort of confused, <laughs> right? Jesus? Like, is that, like, is that really what you want me to do? I don't think so, so I'm not gonna, but what does it mean? <laughs> Well, it means take sin seriously. And if there are things in your life that are causing you to sin, can we take those seriously and cut them out of our life? I was talking to a young adult the other day, and, and he, he had started just struggling with um, pornography in his life. And, and he talked about how he now had set his phone up to severely restrict what he can go on. I think that's a beautiful example of what it looks like to take that sin seriously, Right? It's, it's an inconvenience to him because now there's sites like Facebook, it's good, and stuff like that, that he, he can't go on anymore. But the bigger inconvenience is to, is to have the enemy a, a place in his life, right? So he said, I, I'm going to take this seriously and take the steps needed to get healthy. Um, maybe this first part was all a promo for the healthy sexuality courses that we have coming up at, at, here at GMC, I encourage you, if you, if you struggle with uh, pornography and lust in your life, take these courses. The stats show that 64% of Christian men struggle with pornography, right? 64% of Christian men struggle with pornography. And we've had hundreds that have gone through. So if you feel like you're alone in the sin, you're not. You're not alone. But, but can you be brave enough to take these steps to get free in your life? It's so, so worth it. And I love the quote from John Ortberg, we generally sin alone, but we heal together. Let's heal together, church. Let's not let the enemy keep us in, in shame, letting him have a place in your vase and corrupting everything. Let's, let's address these things. And I want to say, too, this is, not, this is not a male problem. Right? This is why we have a course as well for females that are struggling with this. This is, this is an epidemic and, and part of the life, the over-sexualized culture and the media that we have so free now. It's just part of the, the world that we're living in. So let's be serious about not giving the enemy a place. Amen? Awesome. The second thing, if we want to make room for God, we got to make him first, ultimately. 
In Genesis 4, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked on favor with Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. What I'm reading here is, is that God prefers meat over fruit, right? <laughs> Maybe, I, I don't really know about that. But if we, look at, if we look at this wording here, look what Cain brought, some of the fruits. He went before God, hey God, here's some of the fruits. Some of the fruits from my harvest are for you, those are yours, see you later. So that's what he brought, some fruits. Whereas Abel, it uses a bit different wording, right? And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions. Say to your neighbor, fat portions. <laughs> just kind of wanted you to say that this morning. That was just to humor me, I guess. Fat portions, this is good stuff, of some of the firstborn of the flock. Firstborn, right? He didn't know, because he's giving the firstborn, he doesn't know how many are coming afterwards, Right? And this is why the Bible talks about the principle of giving your, your first. Because when you give your first, you're not necessarily like calculating everything out ahead of time, being like, okay, let's let all of the lambs come. That gimpy one, that's for God. That'll work. I can live with that, right? Or, oh man, it, we didn't quite have enough, so I don't know what I'm going to give to God. Right? But when you give your first, it's this act of faith. And that's ultimately why God approved that sacrifice. It was faith. Right? It was the faith that Abel had of putting God first. It's not necessarily even the amount you give, right? Because we have the widow that gave the last that she had, and God was pleased with that. But it's the faith in which you give. And when we put God first, we get this blessing. In Ezekiel, it says this, and the first of all, all the fruits of all kinds. So even in, back in the day, you would, you would give your firstborn to the temple until the, the priests were actually just the, from the tribe of Levi, but then you still had to buy back your firstborn to, in a sense, redeem them. So it was the first fruits of all kinds shall belong to the priests, and you shall also give to the priests the first of your dough, that a blessing may rest on your house. Right? There's a blessing that comes with that. And some people, I think, have twisted that and say, hey, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow lots, you'll reap lots. So it's like a, kind of a cool way to get rich, right? Hey, you want to get rich? Just give. Give to the church, you can get rich. I don't think it's talking about that kind of blessing. I think it's talking about spiritual prosperity, right? The, the life that is true life. And that's, do you want to be rich in material things or rich in God and his kingdom? The latter is better, right? So I think this is, this is where that blessing um, happens when we put God first. So please don't bring us your dough, right? If you're making bread or any animals, we won't sacrifice them. But what does this look like today to live out in my life, right? This is still a principle of first fruits. And I, I think of my life and, 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 and for sure money, that's totally part of it, giving God the first fruits in that my resources, my talents, and what about my time? What does it look like to give God the, the first fruits of, of my time? We're going to look at this vase as our life here this morning. Um, and our life 
We're going to base a life off of um, 79 years because those are some of the statistics I, I found for, for uh, what you spend on a life that's 79 years old. So we don't all get guaranteed that amount of time, right? But in a life that's 79 years long, and you have, uh, first of all, how many of you eat and work? Okay, or have worked in your life, or will work in your life. Okay, that should be everyone, right? So we can already say that's a big chunk there of life that needs to be taken up. Putting God first doesn't mean don't sleep, right? You sleep. But then there's all these other things, too, that, that, that come in the way. There's, um, if you have kids, you, you got a parent, and you get home from work, and then you have more work, right? It's kind of hard sometimes. And, and um, you got to do laundry, and you, you got to do stuff. I don't know. You got to do all kinds of things. And all of a sudden, life starts filling up, right? And, and this time, this precious time that we had starts, starts getting taken. So we have to be wise here, right? In, in Ephesians, it says, be careful how you live. Don't be unwise, but wise. That's good advice. Making the best use of your time because the times are evil, Right? I think these, sometimes the time just goes and, and, and we don't make the best use of it. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So what's the will of the Lord for my life? I'm called to not be foolish, but understand, okay, what, what, what needs to be first, right? If this rock is what needs to be first in my life, what's in there? Is church going to be something that I put first, Right? And if church is first, then sometimes some other things have to become second. I talked to a, a parent that comes to church here, and they're a family that, that loves, loves hockey. And, and this parent was saying, you know, I told the, the coach of my son's hockey team, we're not missing church. Not, if you have a tournament on Sunday, we're coming to church, then we're showing up in the third period when the game's on, right? He didn't say that. But in my mind as a pastor, I didn't tell this person, but I, but I thought, I mean, you can miss one weekend. Like, you can go once and miss church. It's okay. I'm not going to, like, call you or anything. <laughs> but I thought it was so cool because what this person was saying is that this is most important. So this thing is less important. We have to make those decisions. And this is what the early church, they, they made that decision. It said they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to Christian fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. That word devoted means to be steadfast, to persevere, and not faint. This was their yes. They were making room for these kind of things in their life. Right? They, they made that choice to put those things first. Things like church and community. What about time alone with God? Jesus, if, if you read the life of Jesus you'll see this phrase, he went alone to pray with the Father, or many times he went alone to pray. Jesus was the Son of God and had a three-year ministry. You think he was a little busy? I think so. Everyone wanted a peace. I mean, he was doing miracles and he had this demand, but Jesus knew, if I'm, if I'm going to do this, I need to be in right relationship with my Father and my ministry is an overflow of that. So I must make time to be with God. Or else all of these other things God won't be brought into, really. Well, I mean, for Jesus, he would, because he's God, right? But 
But he still, even though he was God, he made time to be with his father. So what does it look like in your life to make time to be with God alone? Rescheduling your life. And this will look different in different seasons of your life. Right? So some of you, <laughs> I'm just surprised you're here. <laughs> that sounds bad. <laughs> but you, you have five kids. And it's like, I, don't even, I can't even do the math of how you get here on time. Tell me your secrets. That's wild. We have one kid. The kid gets dressed up, throws up before church. And we're like, okay, now we're late. Right? <laughs> so some of you, you're here. And that's awesome. And, and it wasn't convenient for you to be here. But you had this devotion to come. So you, you made it happen. Bless you. But maybe your, your time alone with God, if you have five kids and they're not sleeping well, maybe it does have to look different, but how can we make it look? What does it look like in this season of my life to spend time with him? And that's a question I've been asking. I'm a, I'm a, a, a new dad, and so my daughter is progressively waking up early. <laughs> earlier and earlier, it seems. And, and, and one time, I, I, I love meeting with God in the morning, so I, I got my coffee, Got my Bible. I sat down. I was so excited to have this time alone. You know, it's like, <laughs> and I have the baby monitor beside me, and I, I see her wake up, and I get annoyed. That's bad. I'll, I'll, I'm honest, though. I'm annoyed because I wanted this time with God. So what do I do? I turn the monitor off, and I say, God, you are first. That's a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> totally a joke. Fatherhood is something that I say yes to, so I pick her up. And, I, and I, I give up the time that I wanted to love her. And that's, that's an act of worship to God too, right? <laughs> Taking care of her. Of course, she needs, I need to do that. That's my responsibility. But then, again, it, this kind of irked me. What do I do now, God? She's waking up earlier and I don't have time for you. And God said, well, what, Brenton, what do you often do before bed? And this is where... The sand and, and rice, because the sand was too wet, now it's good. This is where the sand can sometimes get in the way. Well, I don't know, God, I, I have me time. That's time for me, and I, I do some things. They're not, they're not bad things, God. But all of a sudden, oh, wow, I do that. Oh, okay, oh. And I felt God urging me, well, Brenton, like, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> are you going to make time for me, or are you going to... You might have to do a bit less of this. Oh, okay. I'll try to do that, right? And that's what I'm trying to do now, and I'm constantly figuring out, do I have to meet with you in the evening? Because sometimes she's up at six, right? And I, I need, right, the rock on the bottom is sleep. I need to sleep, right? So, but what does it look like now in my life to be devoted to my devotions? To have a yes in my heart saying, I'm not willing to, to, to tell you, God, I don't have time to be with you because I can't do any of my other life right if I don't. And when, when, I, when I make room for sand in my life and other things become first, that's when the blessing I feel is gone. When God is first, there's that blessing because he's number one in your heart. So you take him to every other area and domain of your life, to your fatherhood, to your work. You're taking God and he's part of that all. But, but we want to make him first so that things are in order and everything flows from there. Amen? Sometimes, if we're honest and if I'm honest in my life, these hobbies and this, this sand and this, this grain, this me time, not necessarily bad, but sometimes it's been first over God. And, and, 
we start going to these hobbies for peace instead of the Lord's presence. We start watching TV for an escape. We need to learn to escape with the Lord, right? We must learn to escape with the Lord. Sometimes we just go to these hobbies even because there's something in our heart that maybe we just don't want to even address or talk to God about. God wants to heal us. God wants to meet us and refresh him, refresh us in that place. And then again, we take him into every other area of our life, but when he is first. This is why I think fasting is so important, and I encourage you, we're not going to tell you to fast again, don't worry, <laughs> for any of you thinking that. We're not going to tell you to fast again, but I think the Holy Spirit might. And I think the Holy Spirit will tell me to fast again this year, and I want to say yes to that. Because what, when I'm fasting, the way I see it is I'm putting my, my flesh in the back seat, right? I'm giving something up, whether it's screen time or food, and, and then the flesh is in the back seat and the flesh starts whining, like, kind of like when you're on a road trip, right? Hey, uh, when are we getting here? I have to pee. Can we turn around? I don't think we should keep going. You just stay back there, okay? You're not driving the car, <laughs> And I've got the wheel, and Jesus is riding shotgun, and I've got the GPS of the Holy Spirit, and I'm following his ways, and I go. And I learn in my life to, to say no to the flesh sometimes, because I, I want to live in a way where Jesus is actually controlling my life. I'm not led by the flesh, right? And so he can scream and yell and scream and yell, but I've got a destination to go to, and I'm not really listening to you, Right? So in our life, we need to make room for God. And, and, and if, we, if we ultimately, if we have an ideal of what we want our life to look like, I'll just dump this out. If this is how we want our life to look like, that's a good plan, right? We're saying yes to the things that matter. But if, if this is what we want to do, we need to learn to control the sand. We need self-control with things of, the things that just take time away from our time with God. If you look at uh, a 79-year 79, 79 life, the pink dots are the time we spend in bed. 33 years, that's lots of time. The red dots are, are work, and the next biggest thing is screen time. The average screen time of a person that lives 79 years is, is over 11 years. That's too much. I don't know. I think that's too much. So what are, what are we going to do, right? This fast, I, I heard the story of, of, of a young, young man. He's in grade nine, and he made a limit on his phone that he would have two hours of screen time a day. And in fact, he, he was doing homework and schoolwork on his phone too. So one day he ran out of time. And he said to his mom, that's all the time I got. <laughs> God before school, Amen. <laughs> Amen, all right. <laughs> I think he got some extra time and the mother was like, you can't go though if it's homework. That's, you should do that. But that's awesome. Do we need to make these type of rules on, on, on our phones? And you might see, say, oh, pastor, it sounds a little legalistic. Like I'm free. Are you free? Are you free though? Or are you being controlled and addicted by your phone? We need to learn to behold the glory of the Lord more than beholding this and its glow. Amen? I'm just preaching to myself, right? (laughs) 
But this is so, so important because these things can steal what's most important in our life. In Proverbs 25, verse 28, it says, A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. <laughs> right? We could, we could talk all day about putting God first, putting God first, but if we don't have the self-control, the enemy is just going to, where's the sand? It's in there. The enemy is just going to fill this back up with sand. So we must learn self-control. If we want to put God first, we've, we've got to ha- have self-control in our lives. Because I've had times with God, honestly, that have been totally stolen because I didn't have self-control. And I ended up going on the score app and looking up useless sports stats. And then Eliana wakes up and I'm like, oh, God, the time got taken by her. And then it's like, well, not really. You could have just started meeting with me right away and, and then did that later if there was time, Right? So we have to get better at at doing this and training our mind more to be with God. There's this beautiful quote from A.W. Tozer, and I'm working on this in my life. It's not a a one-day thing or a one-week thing. This This is tough stuff. But the quote is, As we set direction of our hearts toward Jesus, something miraculous takes place in our inner beings. The habit of the soul is forming in which we become after a little, in which will become after a little while a spiritual reflex requiring no more conscious effort on our part. In other words, we are training our mind to not just escape to hobbies, we're training our mind to escape to Jesus. Amen? When we get worried, we go to Jesus. When we get worried, we go to Jesus. And this is this is what science says too, that you, you can train your brain. Your brain can be molded. And neurons that wire together, they, they fire together. And so this is hard, right? Man, you should, I'm, I was going to say you should be in my brain. You really shouldn't. <laughs> it's a dangerous place. But it can be so distracted. But I have to make that commitment. No matter how many times I get distracted, I need to come back to God and get better at coming back to God, better at coming back to God. There's a quote I've heard, if, if I get distracted a thousand times in prayer, it's a thousand opportunities to come back to God. That gives me hope. It's like, okay, I'm not at a thousand yet. Let's keep going. Let's learn. Let's learn the self-control. This is needed. In Titus 2, Paul was talking to Titus and, and giving encouragement to the church. And, and what Paul was saying, if you read the, the, the book, he was saying, hey, Titus, when you pick elders, make sure they're self-controlled. Make sure they're self-controlled. They have house in order. When you pick, or, and then he's talking to all the different demographics of what you should tell them. And he says, older men, self-control. He says to the older women, lay off the sauce. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> Which means, in other words, um, watch how much wine you drink. <laughs> self-control. Younger women, self-control. Younger men, self-control. And then, then it says this in Titus 2. 11 to 12 after all of that. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Isn't that beautiful? We don't earn our salvation. It's the grace of God. But that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, sin, to worldly passions, or I even think just the sand in our life, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I just pray for myself and us as a church. We would say, God, by your grace, teach me this. Teach me self-control. I don't want to be a, a city without walls. 
that sounds really lame. I want to build walls so I can protect the things that matter most in my life. Amen? And as I close this morning, just kind of to wrap it all up, if I'm making room for God, I need to relinquish control and the ownership of my vase. That's what we're called to do, right? This is what it all boils down to. Will we, will we give God our life? I'll make room for you to do whatever you want to. Your, your way is better. Again, that means to give up our own way. In Luke 9, it says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Often we, we want Jesus, I think we do, but we want to maintain control. We want eternal life, but we don't want to die. We're called to die. We're called to give it all up. Relinquish everything that we have. Luke 14, you can't be my disciple without giving up everything you own. Oh, and that's where that grain of sand is in my heart. God, help me to do this. Help me to give up everything I own. Father, I want to live a life of surrender. I want to put you first. I want to give you everything, Lord God. And this is what Jesus does because he loves us. He demands everything because he's the only way to life. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him a list of things to do. And this young man is pumped. <laughs> hey, I passed the test. I got eternal life. And then it says, Jesus looking at him with love. And I think what Jesus did in that moment was he saw inside of his face. With love, Jesus says, give me this rock. This one right here that shouldn't be there. This one that really is calling the shots in your life. Give me that. Sell, sell everything you have and follow me and then you will have eternal life. And the man left sad because he owned much. Well, this was first in his life and he wasn't willing to give Jesus that. Not quite. challenging story. Amen. This is why I want this conviction to come because as I think we're all in this process of learning to surrender our lives to Jesus. But let's not just settle for something that's less than what Jesus is actually calling us to do. Amen. Let's let that conviction sit and let's say, God, I want to give you everything. God, if you're calling me to give up this rock, I can't get this out. Then I'm going to get rid of it because when we do that we find life amen the more I've surrendered during this time the more life has flooded into my spirit oh it's so amazing there's nothing like the peace of God it's good there's nothing like the eternal hope found in Jesus there's nothing that I'd rather gaze on than the beauty of the Lord amen let's stand Yeah, God, we thank you 
for who you are, that you're gracious with us, God. You're so gracious. Even though we're probably far from where we are supposed to be in our lives, you meet us in your grace and love and you say, let me pull you forward into surrender. God, help us to have a yes in our heart to say yes to you and whatever we need to lay down. God, it's so beautiful because as we give things up that we weren't meant for, we found the life that we were meant for all along in, in you and your presence, God. And we're about to sing this song, Jesus, we love you. And I just think of... Uh, in the Bible where the, where the woman enters a room with Jesus and all of the other religious leaders and she was a sinful woman and she wasn't supposed to be in there. But she didn't care about that. And she had a, a jar of ointment that was probably her whole inheritance, like a year or three worth of salary. She dumped it all on Jesus. She didn't think like, oh, that's 20 bucks, that's 40 bucks, that's 60 bucks. She just said, I'm dumping this all because you are the pearl of great price. God, you're the only one worth living for. You're worth giving everything for. And she dumped it all at his feet and worshiped him. As we sing this song, I pray that, that we do that in our life and, and continue to live a life of doing that because our God is worthy of everything we have. Amen. Thanks for listening. If there's anything we can do to help you along in your journey, email prayer at gmchurch.ca. If you'd like to see what's coming up at Gospel Mission Church or learn more about us, visit gmchurch.ca.